On this week's Byword, we are continuing to ring in the new year with artists we can't wait to see more from. So grab a warm beverage because the Byword begins now. Welcome into another warm and toasty episode of the Nerd by Word, the only podcast hot enough to keep you warm during Winter Storm Elliot, whoever that is. Somebody tell Bobby Drake to chill, pun fully intended. We get it. You're an Omega level mutant. Now sit down somewhere. On today's Byword Big Talk, we are sharing our favorite new artists that we can't wait to see more work from in the new year. But first, it's time for. Dave, you got some sparks flying over there, yeah? I have something flying over here. So uh, this is uh, a story that started breaking back in December. And uh, to be completely honest, I think this is going to uh, continue to unfold for quite a while yet. Um, I am uh, specifically referring here to a Bleeding Cool um, story that was posted back in December. Uh, Bleeding Cool had begun uh, running a number of stories throughout December. Um, talking about comic book publisher Aftershock Comics uh, not being able to pay their freelance comic book creators what is due to them. And lo and behold, um, we now know why. It's because uh, they filed for bankruptcy. Um, So Aftershock Comics LLC uh, filed for bankruptcy uh, Chapter 11 on December 19th, 2022. Now, this is obviously uh, not, not great for the industry. Anytime a small press publisher like this that has actually been, you know, having a decent output goes away, that means that, you know, work is uh, is going away for comic book creators, right? Um, debts uh, that were declared in this filing include, included uh, Mattia Monaco, uh, artist for Knock'em Dead and Chicken Devil from Aftershock uh, in the amount of $18,000 owed. Emilio Piliu, artist on Bram Stoker, Monster Hunter from Aftershock in the amount of $15,500. Alberto Locatelli, writer on Where Starships Go to Die, $15,000 owed. Inaki Miranda of We Live for Aftershock, um, $10,000. Mark Engelert, artist, $8,600. they owe apparently $17,000 to San Diego Comic-Con, according to this filing, um, which is is, is, is kind of wild. And then uh, they, there's some uh, money owed, apparently, uh, to um, a, a te- a, some television studios and networks. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on there, if this is related to, like, advertisement or what, but uh, TBS, CNN, $756,000. AMC Networks International Broadcasting 375,980. These numbers are just absolutely mind boggling. And then there's just a laundry list, according to the story, of uh, comic book creators, just like at least 50 people on here, I would say, based on just scrolling through the list that are all owed money uh, and were named specifically in this filing. Um, 
Now, according to the story, and I quote, declaring Chapter 11 bankruptcy is often not the end, but a new beginning. It enables companies to take a break from their debts while they attempt to reorganize so that it can pay off their debts. Um, so is this the death of Aftershock Comics? Maybe, maybe not. It's difficult to predict at this point. It is certainly a huge blow to all these creators who have been sitting around waiting to get paid and have not been um, to now be put back on the back burner yet again while the company reorganizes and tries to figure out how to handle this debt. Um, and it is another publisher that is kind of going to be off the table for a while as far as creators, you know, trying to pitch their work to somebody. Um now, I also want to mention, this is not mentioned specifically in this Bleeding Cool story. However, uh, it is something that I came across on social media when I first saw about this filing. Uh, and that is that apparently uh, all the court documents were posted online without redactions for quite a while before they realized that they had messed up, which means that the private addresses of many of these creators... Uh, that our old money were specifically listed in the filing. And now suddenly all of these, you know, people on social media were able to download these documents and see where a whole bunch of comic book creators live, which is a huge privacy violation. So this bankruptcy filing is not off to a great start, I would say. Um, just an absolute mess um, once again in the industry. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on this? That well, that's the first thing that caught my attention was was doxing the people that you owe money to. So, like, how can you make this situation exponentially worse? Like, how about revealing their personal information and addresses? Um, yeah, this is I, I don't know what to make of this. It's really really sad because you know some of the primary relationships that we've made over the course of the history of the show are with independent comic creators and writers and artists. And, and so, you know, seeing small publishers like this go under, go belly up um, with significant, you know, things, uh, amounts of money that they still owe people is, is, you know, you, there's no surprise why so many people are going the way of Kickstarter or Indiegogo or crowdfunding their own stuff rather than relying on a, a small publisher to, be able to coexist in a game with Marvel and DC. So it's, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, you tried to scare the bejesus out of me, sending me the stock prices of IDW, my beloved. Um, but uh, here's hoping that they can rebound and whatever, because everything, every single thing that comes out of IDW turtles wise, and even some of the other stuff that I've read is just been top notch. And so um you know, as much as I enjoy Marvel and DC content, I, I want room for the little guys too. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it does seem like uh, crowdfunding and going directly to the readers and the fans seems to be most of the time the most viable option. It's um, when, when you're looking at a lot of small press publishers and, and their contracts and their deals, you know, oftentimes they'll they'll take like, you know, uh, potential television rights and all sorts of stuff like right off the top. They're like, listen, man, if this thing becomes successful, we're going to benefit from it. You less so. Um, and, and so it almost oftentimes seems like the the more lucrative route for a lot of creators just to take it directly to the fans and, and try to use, you know, stuff like, like Kickstarter and the like. Anyway, IDW, I, I didn't mean to scare you about that, but you know there are there are problems in in the industry, especially once you get away from the big two, um, and and maybe Image Comics. Those, those places seem extremely safe, 
but uh, you know, there's just not a whole lot of money in in comic books. I mean, that's something that we're going to have to uh, freely acknowledge. You, you know, nobody is nobody's getting wealthy off of drawing or or, yeah. or writing comic books. It seems, you know, um, and and publishers are oftentimes barely staying afloat, um, which, which is super regrettable. You know, I've been a big fan of what what IDW does for years. I remember back in two thousand eight. 2007 2008 my first go around you know you know working on a uh, on a comic book miniseries i did a little a little uh, local tour through various comic shops and did some signings and i had a you know the pleasure of doing sort of a a double header signing with a gentleman who had did some writing for idw and only you know spoke very very highly of the company as far as behind the scenes go you know and the goalpost, I think, though, since back then has changed, you know, for a lot of creators, the it, like back then, my thing was, uh, would be great if I could land with somebody like IDW and do some work for them, you know, uh, and these days, it's more like would be really great if I can crowdfund my own work and, and not worry about having a publisher, you know, and that that's really the goalpost has changed a lot for comic book creators. It's not I want to find a good home with a publisher anymore, it seems like. Um, it's more if I'm going to tell my own stories, I might as well take it directly to the fans, and that is a big shift. Do you in think? The do you think that's? Do you think that's because of like the massive influx of just? It's crazy how technology in and of itself changes every five to ten years. I was thinking about this the other day. Is like, oh, remember when Redbox put Blockbuster out of business, and now who goes to Redbox anymore? Um, do you think that's with like the massive influx of people like? having access to the internet and being like, you know what, I could just do this myself. And and so it almost has to go towards crowdsourcing. Yeah, I think access changes everything. When I was a teenager before, before I, you know, moved to the United States and I was living in Germany, um, my, a friend of mine and I were trying to make these little parody videos where we're basically like parodying different movies and stuff. Um, and the access to the technology to do that sort of stuff and then to publicize it, to put it out there, just didn't, it didn't exist. You know, these days you have a, a video camera on your phone. Back then I was trying to figure out where to get some video equipment from, you know. Um, and then what? You put it on a VHS and you trade it around the school. Um, now you just slap it on YouTube, you know, like the, 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 the distribution model for any creative endeavor has changed tremendously over the last 20, 30 years. And so that that is a great leveler of the playing field i i for one am super pleased that it is like that i wished it would have been like that when i was younger i think you know things would have been very different from a creative angle for me rather than being almost 40 and getting you know into podcasting and stuff and trying to reignite writing um i probably would have had a much uh, much steadier output over the years just because of accessibility you know um so yeah i think i think this is a good sign uh, the only thing I wish that we could figure out is how to get um, Kickstarter stuff more out there because it oftentimes seems like, you know, the Kickstarter happens, let's say 50, 60 people back it or whatever, and they get their stuff and that's oftentimes the end of the line. Like, how how do we get that kind of stuff in the shops? You know, how do we get that kind of stuff to the to the casual comic book fan that maybe isn't like, you know crawling through kickstarter looking for comic book projects to back you know like how do we put that in their hands that ultimately is is the other piece i think of the puzzle how how do you get it into the hands of people who maybe are not necessarily always hanging out on kickstarter you know and if we figure that out uh, that that is going to be the part that truly levels the playing field i think for indie comic creators yeah i think um 
you know, I used to have a nice little side hustle. You brought you brought me back to high school days. Um, I used to have a nice little side hustle um, making like mixed CDs for for people for like five bucks a pop. Rest in peace. Rest in peace to my my family's uh, PC with the Lime Wire <laughs> that I used to download <laughs> stuff from. <laughs> All the viruses you could. Man, it was like the CDC in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think a pal of ours. Uh, you you brought this to mind. I, I I don't have the specifics on this, but our our good friend Jared Lujan. Remember all the crap that he had to go through with uh, Crash and Troy, and now it's being picked up by a publisher, and it's in in preview catalogs and stuff. So, um, whatever he's doing, he's doing it right. So just like we, we that's exactly right. Brain. Yeah, pick pick his brain because love that dude. Yeah, I think he just like there's a new indie comics uh, award. Uh, that was recently set up, and he he actually won some stuff there, which I think is absolutely fantastic. He's just he's a really really cool dude and a great creator. So thrilled to see that. All right, Chris. So what is your news story this week? You got an interesting one for us. Yeah, there wasn't really anything that really grabbed my attention this week. So if there's ever an opportunity or a window for me to uh, invoke the fires of my rampant Star Wars Rebels evangelism, then so be it. So step aside, y'all. Uh, so Mary Elizabeth Winstead, partner to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, uh, Ewan McGregor, has been long cast in the upcoming Star Wars Ahsoka, but nobody knows what she's playing, uh, what role she's playing. But a new report from Bespin Bulletin uh is hinting that she could be playing none other than one of my all-time favorite characters in all of fiction, Captain Harris and Dula. Um, for all intents and purposes, it's looking like Star Wars Ahsoka is a live-action sequel to my beloved Rebels, um, so I couldn't be more excited about this. Um, Rebel uh, Hera was ad- initially voiced in Rebels by Vanessa Marshall, one of the greatest voice actors in the game. And then in the series finale of Rebels, we've been talking about this recently because of um, I finished Dark Force Rising. I'm on to the third and final book now. Um, but Ezra Bridger uh, made a fatal sacrifice in order to thwart the machinations of your boy, Grand Admiral Thrawn, only for there to be a time jump and the events taking place after Return of the Jedi, uh, Ahsoka and Sabine Wren who has been uh, cast already and confirmed as Natasha Liu Bordiso, um, looking for Ezra. And so with uh, Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka coming into the second season of The Mandalorian, looking for Thrawn, this is all the speculation. It's nuggets. I don't usually like to report on rumors, but I'm starved, Dave. Yeah, I watched, you know, uh, a chunk of like the first season of Rebels and then kind of fell off the wagon. But I I do certainly see, you know, the the appeal of the characters and I kind of followed it sort of in the periphery. So I was aware that, you know, Ahsoka had popped up on the show as a major, you know, character and and so seeing uh, you know, these characters jumping to live action is really really interesting because that's not that's not super common in franchises, you know, for a a character, an original character to be introduced in animation and then jump into live action. I mean, we saw that obviously with, with Boba Fett in the holiday special. Um, there was an animated <laughs> sequence there that introduced a character, right? And I guess you could you could say Harley Quinn is one of those that jumped, you know, from from a cartoon to the comics and then from the comics ultimately, you know, into live action. But it's not super common. And just so, so basically, we're getting 
if the rumors are to believed, we're getting an Ahsoka series that is not so much an Ahsoka series as it is a continuation, a live action continuation of the of the Rebels cartoon, which is such an odd but really interesting thing uh, as a development just in a franchise to see a cartoon basically turn into a live action project so unusual i'm really really interested to see if um how the characters are you know received in a in a live action version since obviously i mean these, these are not the voice actors you know so these are new people inhabiting these roles and we saw um, from the Obi-Wan Kenobi series with the Grand Inquisitor, that not every leap from uh, from animation to live action necessarily works out of the box, right? Um, so here's hoping that the, the actors that are taking on these roles, if all this is to be, be believed, that they actually do their homework and, and really manage to inhabit those characters. I have to say I was very pleased with Rosaria Dawson as Ahsoka so far. Um, I thought that uh, that casting was extremely smart. So I'm very, very interested to see where this goes. I'll say this. it's It's been really interesting. And we talked about this last week, and we'll talk about it more when I finish the third book. But it's been really interesting visiting this uh, Heir to the Empire series for the first time with, with the context now. And, and we said all this last week. But now kind of thinking back, punting back and thinking about what Filoni and Favreau and all of those guys have done, kind of intertwining and kind of a la carte menu cherry picking some of the elements of air and including them, okay, mostly Thrawn. But I'll say this, right now, Lucasfilm, Dave, John, Filoni, not you. If you want to do it, that's cool. I don't know if you have the power to do it recast Luke Skywalker and give me a live action. You know what I'm going to say. Give me Mara Jade. I'll, I'll give my left foot for that. My right oh. one too. I'll walk oh. on stumps for the rest of my life <laughs> oh my if I have God. to. I'm, I mean, that that sounds facetious, but Mara Jade is such a great character. Oh, and I, I really honestly I really honest to God think, you know, the, the new Republic era, quote unquote, in the new canon has not really been explored all that much. No, I mean, you have no. basically the Mandalorian and Boba Fett, right? But that's it. I don't I don't have a problem. Even if you want to go animated, I don't have a problem with them saying, listen, we are going to mm-hmm. do our ver- our version of the heir to the empire story we're going to bring in mara jade we're going to we're going to do this in an animated format since you know we don't want to we don't want to recast all these you know iconic characters um and we're just going to jump in and we're going to tell this new republic story um how it took place in this new canon i i would adore that and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go a step further um and this is really really off topic but i you know it's our podcast, darn it's it, not I want to go off topic. <laughs> I'm going off topic if I want to. Um, so, I, I honest to God think... Holy crap, I lost it. Maybe I'll get it again. <clears throat> okay, so here's my thing. Part of the reason that I've taken forever getting through this trilogy, aside from the awful narrator, <laughs> is... <laughs> if I... Oh, Coruscant. Oh, my God. Uh, um... Part of the reason that I've taken my time with this is because I have to recontextualize all of this, knowing now that it's been almost 30 years since these novels were released. Um, I think it, No, I think it's actually been 30 years. Um, but I, I still don't see any barriers to including 
a lot of this. Of course, you're going to have to shave off the edges, um, you know, with the clones and all that, because it's the 90s. And of course, it was clones. I texted you when I finished Dark Force Rising. I was like, of course, it's clones. It's the 90s. It's, it was like the Spider-Man pointing meme. Um, but I, I I still think that this story fits in canon. And I think they could do it. Now, whether they do it animated or live action, I don't care. But, I mean. The no, the no Gree are also so interesting, you know. Oh, like yes. I find that yes. That's, that's, a, that's a race that is so underappreciated. Like, imagine, you know, Leia dealing with these this whole race that is basically like, you know, no, no you're wrong. Darth Vader was the good guy. What the hell? What the heck's wrong with you? You know, like, I, I love that. That is such a cool twist. Um, and I got it again. Thank you so much for inspiring me, Chris. Yeah. Um, so if if you are willing to say that in the new canon, Mara Jade existed, right? Then to me, Last Jedi Luke makes a lot more sense. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, yes. Like yes. if you blow if you blow you blow up his school, right? I mean, the Luke Skywalker we know is going to be like, well, I'll just rebuild. You know, screw you. But if if one of the people that died in that attack was his wife, you know, then I'm like, all right, now we're talking. Now it's not just I failed and I go into exile, but I failed and I lost the one person I loved most. And now the exile makes a lot more sense. You know, I, I don't know if that if I'm saying this right. But, you know, you don't know this this new canon very well, but spoilers, eventually, as they get older, Mara and Luke get married and have a kid. And, yeah, yeah, and so no, if that. you're going to say that. in the new canon that, that that some of this relationship existed, you know, um, and that this this whole attack on his, his Jedi Academy or whatever, that they died, you know, his wife or his wife mm-hmm. and child, both. and suddenly yeah, Last oh, Jedi yes. Luke feels like a... Yeah, feels like a much more legitimate choice than I, I failed like Obi-Wan Kenobi did, and I'm just going to go ahead and do exactly what Obi-Wan Kenobi did. I'm going to go hide somewhere. You know, like it seems that's almost too much history repeating. But one of the things I always liked about the new can, uh, the old canon of the expanded universe is that the whole attachment is forbidden rule had not been invented yet because the prequels hadn't been written yet, right? So the idea of Luke Skywalker, like, looking for love, finding love, having relationships, that is something that people just ran with. And then once the prequels were introduced, uh, the Expanded Universe very consciously said, Luke Skywalker believes that one of the problems of the old Jedi Order was that they were not willing to have attachments. Therefore, the new Jedi Order will have attachments. People will be able to marry and have kids, and we're we're doing it different this time. And I think that is a really cool choice. Because look, look, look no further than your own father as to where that went awry. If you would have let him exactly. be married, be public with it, I don't think any of that would have happened. And so like that cautionary tale hits close to home. I will say this. I, I so so I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. Clint Eastwood looks Luke Skywalker, the Grand Torino Luke Skywalker makes so much more sense. Which I already loved it. I'm, you know, someone who becomes has become increasingly cynical as as time progresses. I get it from Luke already without any of that context, but I think it would just be so smart. I will say this. And not to put the cart before the horse, if I catch Borsk Falia, Counselor Falia, in the street, it's on sight. I have never been so vilely <laughs> angry at a character than this little 
groundhog mofo. I'm trying to avoid that <laughs> clicking of the pen. Oh my god! So I'm sitting there. I was I was had my headphones in while I'm like playing video games and stuff and listening. And that final, that final two or three chapters of Dark Force Rising is just out of the park. Um, but Phalia, he can catch these hands. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that I, I thought that was such a cool, um, different kind of villain too for Star Wars at the time, which mm-hmm. was you know this this these political ma- machinations, and this is not necessarily the enemy, you know, but it is a huge obstacle. And I, I, I really love the character for that. Talk about a character cashing in on many Boffins died to bring us this information, right? <laughs> you have one line in 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 um in Return of the Jedi, and they're just like. Ran, ran with that it's it's really something yeah we i'm looking forward to finishing the series so we can have our episode where we kind of talk about that and uh, and our sort of krakoa era x-men stuff that i've read um i think that's going to be a really interesting episode what a news segment <laughs> all right yeah i think it's time for us to retire <laughs> we're right. done for the day <laughs> Uh, we're going to tap out for a second, but when we come back, uh, the Byword Big Talk with artists we're just dying to see more from. Welcome back to this week's uh, main segment. You know it as our Byword. And we are still ringing in the new year. Uh, and we are looking at comic book artists or artists in general that we're just super excited to see more from in the new year. We did an episode uh, a couple of months back on like all-time favorite artists, uh, but these folks are kind of elbowing for room on that list. So these are folks that are hot in the game right now, and we can't to we can't wait to see more from. So Dave, who is first on your list? This is no surprise. Well, I have been singing the praises of, of Dan Mora now for quite a while. Um, uh, actually, Dan Mora's uh, proper name is Daniel Mora Chavez. He's a, a Costa Rican-born uh, painter. Um, no, he's a he's, um, direct heir of the famous Costa Rica-born Mexican painter and sculptor Francisco Zuniga. I probably said that wrong. Um, so he, you know, kind of has it in his blood already. Um, but Mora uh, first kind of caught my attention just online when I saw some of his stuff where he was um, drawing Superman. And I was like, holy crap, this guy really has such a cool take on Superman, which, you know, if if you want to be a good artist in my book, just have a good take on Superman. And, you know, that's step one. Um, and then when I did like my big um, Boom Studios Power Rangers read through, I encountered his work uh, on covers. Uh, and then also on um, GoGo Power Rangers, the sort of prequel series that deals like with the early years of uh, the Power Rangers. And then from there, I you know I jumped to a, uh, um, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer series at Boom, and Boom, there's you know pun intended, there's Dan Moore again in the opening arc, and I'm like, holy crap, this dude is like incredible, right? I mean, like the art is is gorgeous. There's something really distinctive about how he draws faces, particularly of licensed characters. Like I absolutely love that I can look at his Buffy and I kind of see Sarah Michelle Geller there, but it's also not like some artists do with licensed characters where they're trying to do like some kind of one-to-one recreation of the of the of the face of the 
actor. It's more like this is this is Sarah Michelle Geller's face via Dan Mora, if that makes sense, right? Um, so I really, really like how he approaches uh, licensed characters and likenesses. Um, his art's just really dynamic. There's a lot of movement and motion going on there. It's very fluid. Um, I really, really like this stuff, man. And so, lo and behold, after reading all this Boom stuff and loving his take on Superman, now he's like the main artist on Batman Superman World's Finest, uh, which is written by Mark Wade. And I think they just hit issue 10, and that book is just knocking it out of the park every stinking time, which is such a great take on the relationship between Superman and Batman. And Mora has such a great take on like the classic superman suit uh he also took batman sort of back to like that 1970s look with like the the blue cape and cowl and gloves and the big oval yellow with the bat symbol in it on his chest it's just so almost throwback cool i guess um i i, I don't know how else to describe dan moore's art otherwise just classy it's just it's classy art and i really really want to just see him on all sorts of stuff this this batman superman book has just shown that that he just should take the big two by storm an absolute an absolute class act top to bottom yeah there's not there's not much i can really add to that i i totally agree with all of your sentiments i mean the the second image that pops up on my google is my new favorite character nightwing i mean like and and uh, I love the the tussled hair, uh, all of it. His 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 stuff with Spider Man and Black Cat is amazing. His Power Ranger stuff is is top notch. Like I, it's just it's really awesome. It's like like you said, it's like it's like a new realism, like like a or, or like a neo classic take on comic books. If that makes sense, like it's the classical stuff, but like through a new lens. So it's like it's happening now. I just I just love his stuff. I've 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 loved his stuff ever since I ran across it on uh, uh, Power Rangers, and then I had to do a deep dive because I love this stuff. Now, Chris, I uh, went ahead and I looked up your first pick right away, and uh, I was shocked to see so many X Men characters not. So, uh, who is on your <laughs> list of artists to watch? Uh, first and foremost is probably it, it, it's funny because a lot of the. Um, the artists that we really, really love are almost exclusively cover art. Um, but this artist does both interior and cover work. And I first came across Lucas Wernick's art when he like did some concept art. I think it was on Deviant Art page um, for like what the MCU X Men could look like, and like immediately was like stunned at like the photorealism, like it like that it wasn't photography. It was just that high quality. Um, and then, uh, he's gone on into doing, um, interior work as well for, um, to trial of Magneto. And then now on immortal X-Men, one of my favorite books of the past year, and then also doing cover work all across Marvel. Um, there's one that he just released a couple of days ago of, uh, a variant cover for Rogue and Gambit and their upcoming series. That's just absolutely stunning. Um, his work with destiny is incredible. I, there's just something about, like, I've talked about this before. I'm like an old nerd for like the sappy romantic, you know, stuff. I think that's why I preferred John Ramita senior to Ditko when he took over on ASM, like those old romance 
novel, like romance comics that that uh, Romita Senior, you know, became famous for. Like, I, I just love that style of art. And so I think that's something that's that's present here. But with like the photorealism in his artwork is just like, I, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen that kind of talent consistently on a page. His covers for um, today's Nerd Commendation are out of this world. I'll talk more about that in our final segment. He did some great work on... Um, just everything like the the new little mermaid character um for Halle Bailey uh, I just I just love this stuff yeah while you were talking I was kind of just like scrolling through some of his art on like art station and and you know looking at some of the covers that he's put out there um you know looking at his Instagram and I have to say um where I read I guess more DC than Marvel I did not encounter much of his um or at the very least I didn't know that I was encountering something of his but his art is really something. I have to say, I'm I'm very very uh, very interested in seeing more, particularly interior art. His cover stuff is absolutely gorgeous. If his interior stuff, you know, matches matches his uh, his, his cover art, it's it's really stunning. So I I need to I need to look up uh, Lucas Wernick. I need to see more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe this will be next week's nerd commendation. I can't believe I've forgotten it, but maybe I just beat you over the head with so many X-Men books, but between Kieran Gillen's <laughs> writing, uh, between Kieran Gillen's writing and then his artwork on the interiors of immortal X-Men, it's, it's like the messy politics of the quiet council. Um, it's, it's really, really great. Um, this is a new one for me. I think maybe I'll have to do a quick search, but Dave's who, who's your second pick for artists, uh, in the upcoming year? Oh, you you already know who I'm talking about here, uh, actually, because he was the artist in one of my nerd commendations. So uh, this artist goes by uh, Leo Max, uh, but his real name is Massimiliano Leonardo. He's an Italian comic book artist based in Rome, Italy. Um, and as it turns out, uh, he caught my attention, actually, with an American comic book, specifically Basketful of Heads, written by Joe Hill. Right uh, over at DC Comics as part of the Hill House uh, horror line. I talked about this book extensively uh, in a nerd commendation, and I mentioned how much I love the art for having this totally awesome, like throwback look that manages to, manages to perfectly capture sort of those that late nineteen seventies thing that the book had going on, um, and it just really got me curious about this artist and what else. Um, you know, he's done. And let me tell you, I'm going to have to dig deep to find some of his stuff. Um, the, the first place for me to really dig in was actually once again at DC Comics uh, because he worked on a four-issue miniseries called Rogue for DC Comics, uh, written by Joshua Williamson, um, which uh, was uh, sort of a um, future story of the Flash's Rogues Gallery. Um, and they all kind of disbanded and Captain Cold is trying to bring them back together for one more heist. Um, I think the Flash rogues are some of the best in the business. So I'm very interested to see, visually speaking, his take on that. 
uh, it's next on my list to read. But if you know, besides that, he's not done much apparently on this side of the pond. This is sort of a new development for him to work for like DC Comics and some of the major people over here. He has done a lot of work on um, popular Italian comics characters like Tex or or specifically Dylan Dog, uh, which has been on my list of something to check out for a while now. There's been a lot of Dylan Dog that's been translated, I believe. Um, he's done storyboards and, uh, and an animated sequence for a science fiction film in Italy. Um, he's worked on a, as a storyboard artist for an animated series called Horrid Henry. Um, so he's been, you know, around for a while and is you know, extremely experienced and, and just a really, really strong artist. But he's just not, I guess, broken into full um, uh, attention on this side of the Atlantic. Um, but I really hope he does because his work is so good and, and I just can't wait to see him do more. Yeah, I think um, I've heard good things about Rogues. I think uh, one of our, our friends in the Discord, Steve, uh, they uh, recommended this book. So I, I've, I've been planning on checking this one out. And I, now I remember. I knew it was almost like uh, some reticent thing in my mind, some mnemonic device that was buried back there brought this back to me. Like, like, yeah, like Leo Max is one of those people. I'm not big on like trying to contact artists and, and, you know, buy commissions or something, but I would totally hang something of his on my wall. Like he's, he's just really good. All right. So I'm very curious about uh, the next artist on your list, Chris, what have you got? So this one is, and, and I talked about this before, but uh, as far as I know, this artist is almost exclusively, if not exclusively cover art. Um, but it's it, it, for for my dollar, for my money, the best in the game, and that's Sway Art, uh, Joshua, Sway underscore Art on Instagram. Um, I believe the same handle on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. But but uh, his work is just out of this world. It's every cover, every variant cover. I have to snatch it up. Is I've got his Nubia cover, his Miles cover, especially with that new suit of Miles. I love his redesign. Uh, what he did for DC's Pride with like the the list of of queer characters, like making up every color of the rainbow, was fascinating. He did this photorealistic. There's, a, a, I guess, I have a thing for photorealism, but um, you know, the only halfway decent thing about that New Mutants movie that we reviewed oh so long ago was Anya Taylor Joy uh, as Ilyana Rasputina, magic. Um, even though they made her weirdly racist, but, and now she's gone on to bigger and greater things. Um, but he does a great cover of her magic character. Um, I mean, he's got like an amazing Batman and Catwoman. Like it's just top notch stuff. Um, did a recent cover for Deja Thoris. I think that's a dynamite book. Um, the princess of Mars, if I remember correctly, I'm not too familiar with the character, but it's stunning nonetheless. Yeah, that is a that is a dynamite book. It is actually um, Edward Rice Burroughs uh, stuff uh, from that's the, the John of Carter John Carter of Mars. Yep. Mars, yeah, Deja Thoris is one of those characters. Some of that dynamite stuff in that in that quote unquote universe is really really good. Actually, I've heard good things about it, and I'm I'm planning on checking it out now. Um, his cover um, of Mer- of Monica Rambo uh, photon it, it was my my lock screen wallpaper for the longest. Um, I love his Black History Month variants that are coming out next month in uh, in February. Uh, I mean, I, I, could, I could just gush forever. Like, it's just stunning, stunning work. So 
Sway Art, one of my favorite cod. Here's a black cat. I could go on forever. Yeah, so once again, I jumped online because I wasn't familiar and looked at some of the stuff. And I immediately recognized a lot of the cover art for like Nubia and stuff. And I have to say, uh, I can't argue with you, man. Uh, th this is some really nice stuff. So um, uh, don't know what else to say, but, you know, dang, <laughs> this is really nice. <laughs> Dave, you and I kind of nerded out on your last pick for because it's someone's work that we both admire. So we nerded out for a good 10 minutes before we even recorded. Yeah, you know, I, I wish that uh, this individual just did a little bit more interior art <laughs> because it's just absolutely stunning. Um, but I'm, I'm just a, I'm a huge Jamal Campbell fan. Jamal Campbell won me over almost immediately uh, when I picked up the first issue of Far Sector. That book has uh, just done things to me. I, I love it so much. It's, it's to me, probably the greatest Green Lantern-based comic book of all time. I hold it up as one of my all-time favorites. Um, and what I think is really, really cool about, uh, about Jamal is that he doesn't just like do the interior like pencils and or inks, but he also colors his own work. And so what you get on the page is 100% pure Jamal Campbell. It's not like somebody else is inking his work or somebody else is, is you know, coloring his work. It's 100% pure him. And it just really shines through it. There's just so much love in every little image um, and so much skill. So Far Sector, well, that was a 12-issue series, and, and that one is some of the interior art he did. And then he did uh, some interior art on... Um, on uh, Naomi, uh, the DC uh, character that was created by uh, Brian Michael Bendis, and I think David F. Walker was involved in creating the character as well. Um, and so he, I think he did the art on both season one and season two of of Naomi. Uh, other than that, he is predominantly a, a cover artist guy. Um, but it's just as much as I love his cover art, and I've seen you know he's done cover art for like Daredevil uh, variant cover. He's done some. Uh, a variant cover for uh, Riri Williams Ironheart. Um, you know, he's he's around uh, quite a bit as far as cover art goes. He just doesn't seem to do enough interior. Um, and I, yeah, I get it. You know, interiors is is, is a ton of work uh, compared to cover art. Um, but his interiors are just absolutely stunning, and I just wished we we could get more of it. Uh, there's a great um, there's a great uh, shot in in the, in Naomi. I think it's the first season of Naomi. Where uh, Superman uh, and and Mongol are fighting, they come to like Naomi's hometown or something, and they're beating the snot out of each other. And like, I I literally would like pay through the nose for a Jamal Campbell Superman book because his Superman, you know, much like Dan Moore's, it just really clicks. It he takes the classic design and he really just he 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 works it, man. It's just I, I love when an artist can take the the classic Superman design and just pop it and really make it look cool. Um, and, and he can do that. So I would love to see him on a Superman book. Yeah, with that that much process, it's no wonder that he doesn't do as much interior work if he's doing the inking and the coloring as well. But like you said, I mean, like, take your time. We would wait for like a 12-issue maxi series, and we'd wait. We'd wait because it's it's majestic. It's magnificent. And I don't think, I don't think you're going to find a better artist in the game right now than Jamal Campbell. I, t I totally agree with that. And I will say... Um, we're, I'll talk more about it uh, in nerd commendations, but he's also um, just wrote like he wrote like a two page, um, a two page, a two part story for Batman Urban Legends, 
uh, the anthology series that has like multiple short stories running in it at all times. And uh, I haven't been able to check that out yet. Um, but I am, I'm really, really psyched for it. It's like, I think, an issue 22 and 23. Uh, and it is, lo and behold, a Nightwing story. <laughs> yes! So um, I does, it doesn't get better than, than you know, Jamal Campbell on, on Nightwing. I mean, seriously, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm psyched for it. I really am. All right, Chris, that brings us to your final pick. Listen, I this is this is an artist again that has has made her claim to fame primarily on on cover art with variant covers for um, almost every book at Marvel. But she also does um, she does writing and art on her own books, uh, the Demon Days series. I'm talking, of course, about Peach Momoko, whose art is just it's so emotional. It's so atmospheric. Um, it's like this almost reductive kind of watercolor aesthetic that is just stunning to me. And every time I see her work, it's probably easily the most identifiable art in comics right now. Like, oh, that's a Peach Momoko cover. Oh, that's Peach Momoko's work. It's just, it, it, it absolutely just makes me so happy every single time that I see her work. And like the Demon Days books, um, I've, I've got to do another deep dive, but the ones that I've read are just fascinating of like reimagining the marvel universe through feudal japan is just such a fascinating idea but yeah i love everything that peach momoko does i mean she's been my lock screen for (laughs) some of her work has been my lock screen for a long time as well um and anytime that i see peach momoko's work it's it's a good day yeah i'm looking over this and i don't think i've really encountered her work but i'm very very impressed with this you're right. It has a great atmosphere. I just, I, I want to see more, man. I'm going to have to do a deep dive and see what all I can find. Um, this is, yeah, this this speaks to the heart, man. There's sort of something emotional about this art. Very, very cool stuff, man. All right, that wraps up our Byword Big Talk for this week. Who are your favorite artists that you can't wait to see more from in 2023? Hit us up on social media, Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord, or you can slide into the Discord, the links in our bios and share your nerd commendations and your love there. When we return from this, our final break, we're going to hit you with two more nerd commendations that we've teased not so slightly. All right, we're back with the goodies. You know it as our... All right, Dave, you already name-dropped it, but tell us more about Batman Urban Legends. So I, I came across this book um, on DC Universe Infinite, looking just for something different to read once. And I know you're thinking a Batman book and different, but but that's kind of where things get interesting here. Um, I know that DC has a tendency to oversaturate the market with Batman stuff. However, um, what, what I find really interesting is A, when you see uh, artists or writers that don't usually do extensive work on a character get a shot to work on that character, and B, when people are willing to dive into the Bat family, you know, the extended characters that are sort of, you know, some more directly and some more tangentially related to Batman and Gotham City. And so... Um, where, where does that bring us? It brings us to Batman Urban Legends. It took my, it got, grabbed my attention immediately because it's an anthology series, right? Uh, each issue is sort of oversized and features um, four 
uh, short stories. Now, the thing about that is that some of those stories might be two-parters or three-parters. Some of them might be six-parters. And so you continue to each issue and get another chunk of the story. Um, some of them are one-offs, right? And you get a, a self-contained, you know, eight or 10-page story about a specific member of the Bat family. And I am about 12 issues into the series. Uh, the 23rd issue was just released uh, not too long ago um, and was the final issue. So basically you have 23 issues of Batman Urban Legends. Um, but there are some really cool stories in there that sort of immediately, uh, you know, grab your attention. And there are very cool creators coming through there. Ram V did a very cool little uh, three-part story, I believe. Um, hey, uh, one of the ones that I'm uh, just finished reading is from Vida Ayala that did a story about Batman and Zatanna. And I'm a big, big Zatanna fan. So um, that was a very cool story. Uh, there was a six-parter uh, that focused on Ace the Bat Hound, you know, and believe it or not, it re- it was really, really good. So I'm sad that the series came to an end. I'm already, you know, halfway through what they did. But, you know, that, that willingness to spotlight, you know, um, creators, uh, let them experiment with a character without them having to have an extensive run on on the, their books and and really also you know shining a spotlight on some of maybe the lesser known characters or doing something different uh with a character that is well known there's a really cool um there's a really cool nightwing story uh nightwing you know a, a christmas story that it kind of has him be like you know drugged by the scarecrow's fear gas and he kind of got that ghost of christmas past present and future thing happening um and that was really, really cool, uh, you know, to see Dick Grayson kind of go through these hallucinations and stuff, um, and and kind of come away from it with a you know appreciation for you know going and spending more time with his family because he was having sort of a down in the dumps Christmas after after Alfred died. Um, so that that was a really cool story. Those sorts of things, um, you know, they don't all have to be six issue arcs. I guess I'm a huge fan uh, of comic book short stories. I love to write comic book short stories that's what i'm doing predominantly right now as far as my comic book work is i just want to write shorts if i can write a four pager i'll do that if i can write a 10 pager i'll do that i just really love short stories um and so seeing that done in the world of batman as especially as well as it was done here it's just a shame that the series um is, is over and i hope that they continue to find outlets at the big two for sort of anthology style publications that you know have these really cool little short stories because this is just a neat neat book um so even if you feel like batman is maybe oversaturated um you can't really beat all these really cool short stories um that don't necessarily focus on batman himself but sort of on his world very very neat stuff chris yeah i've always been a major proponent of anthologies like this because if for no other reason it helps like um, you know, up and coming creators kind of get their foot in the door. Our good friend Stephanie Williams, uh, you know, kind of did that with, um, you know, the the Marvel's Voices books. Um, and so seeing stuff like that and just getting like these little snippets, slice of life, sometimes even books are, are always just like heartwarming and kind of give like some kind of flavor and character to these characters outside of just like these big plot driven things. And and so it's always like a nice little break from crossover event X and all this and that. And so like, I'm, I'm definitely diving in to check this one out. I think I, I think I picked up the, um, the first issue way back when, when I was actually 
interested in physical comics for this like three month spell. And then I was just overloaded with physical books and I'm like, what do I do? And then, you know, my classroom looks great now. Um, but um, I'm definitely <laughs> going to have to dive in and actually read this stuff. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm tapped in. Now, see, see, t- talking about something that you're excited about and you're willing to tap in, uh, I'm really interested in talking about your, uh, your nerd commendation because I've not read it yet, but I really want to. So what have you got? Monica Rambo Photon. Um, unfortunately, it's only a five issue series, but here's hoping that we get a whole lot more because it's one of my all time favorite characters in all of comic books. Uh, I'm going to read the tagline right now. Universal powerhouse Monica Rambo stars in her very own all new adventure. The hero known as Photon has been charged with making a very special, very cosmic delivery. Should be light work, get it, for Monica if family drama doesn't hold her back. It's written by Eve Ewing, um, interior art by Luca Maresca, and cover art by none other than Lucas Wernick. Just absolutely stunning, stunning work. Um, the detail on the character, the background, her hair looks amazing on the cover. And then, dude, this is, I don't know how, but this is my first time reading an e-viewing book and her dialogue, the way that she writes characters is so relatable. It feels like so, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it feels so lived in. Like, it feels like this is my family or these are my close friends. These are people that I know. And so... I'm going to do an e-viewing deep dive. I'm going to read all the Ironheart stuff because I'm dying to know about more about that character based on um, Wakanda Forever. I'm going to be reading Champions because I love all those characters. So this book, this single issue already, uh, this first issue has already won me over on e-viewing as a writer. Um, I'm super excited to do a deep dive there. Um, And it's just such a great first issue. Um, and I'm super excited to continue following and I can't wait for the Marvels as well. So this is great preparation for, uh, that movie coming up. Yeah. See, I always have been fascinated by Monica Rambeau. I never really got a chance to dive into her as a solo character. I always sort of appreciated when she popped up in, for example, um, a Carol Danvers Captain Marvel book. And I, you know, you understand that there's a history there and that she's been Captain Marvel, but uh, it seems like Marvel has not done a whole lot with her. So the idea that she's going to feature big in in the Marvels for the MCU is a good sign, and obviously the reason that we cut this this mini series. So I, a, I'm looking forward to diving into the character, and B, I, um, I, I just I hope that you know this is the beginning of something, and we get to see a whole lot more of her. And I've gone I've gone back and forth with the the moniker of it all. You know, of course, she was Captain Marvel and led the Avengers back in the '80s, which I'm kind of intrigued of doing a deep dive as well. Um, you get that referenced here in this first issue, um, and then you know she was Spectrum for a while, but I think I I think I'm happy with uh, her sticking with Photon because you know Spectrum makes me think I have to pay an internet bill or something. So I think I think I'm good with Photon. Yeah, interesting too. Uh, and we talked about this before, I think, when you have legacy characters, um, and then you know they kind of eliminate the legacy and start over from scratch uh, to go back to the quote-unquote original, and then they don't know what to even call the the legacy character. You know, so Monica Rambeau was Captain Marvel, and then Spectrum, and then Photon, and like pick a name, you know, stick with it, and do something with the character Marvel. I'm I'm really interested to read this man. And I love that it's a name that's all her own. She doesn't share it with Carol. She doesn't share it with Marvel. I think it's it's hers, and I think it fits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. 
All right, that wraps up another episode of The Nerd by Word. We thank you so much for riding along with us. And uh, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or our fancy website, nerdbyword.com. And be sure to find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword, individually at thatnerddave, and at thatnerdchris. You can also find us these days on Hive. Um, I am hanging out a, a bit on Mastodon at uh, thatnerddave at mastodon.art. Uh, and of course, we have that fancy old Discord server where you can slide on in and talk about all things comic books and nerdy pursuits we'd love to have you uh it's always a good time uh very very positive atmosphere we're not you know organizing to boycott anybody or anything we're just a bunch of chill nerds that like to talk about nerdy stuff and as always stay well and stay nerdy the nerd byword is written and produced by chris and dave two nerds with a love of all things pop culture the podcast features music by al jimenez with additional drops composed by joe biondi our show art is by ashery design find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available Thank you.